0: Yeah, I was just in the like you know, Elizabeth Holmes trial space. Um, what? Oh, yeah, I mean, no, no, what? No, no, no. Like a like a post mortem, not like the, what? Not, like actual what? live. No, what
1: you, the, you were in a space about Elizabeth Holmes, and you did not invite me or think of you know,
0: me. You know what? I did think of you. <laughs>
1: I did. Think You're of making you. it worse. That's making it worse. <laughs> that's making it so much worse.
0: Yeah, that's fair. You know, that's fair. I figured you. No, here's what. Here's actually the truth. It was not that interesting. And if it, if it here's actually the was... truth. That's how you're. That,
1: okay, here's actually the truth is what you just said okay, before saying this. As opposed to like the lies here. that you've been saying up till now. I do.
0: I've got to. I'm clapping here so that I can see that this is the place to start the recording when I move this over to YouTube. <laughs> oh no! No
1: no! We should. Um.
0: So I'll tell you what's actually the truth. <laughs> No, I was I was on the space, and if it had gotten interesting, I was about to DM you, but it never got that interesting. That's a crock of shit. Actually, I'll tell you the one interesting. Thing that is that is the I
1: was gonna pay for it of Twitter Spaces. I was gonna DM you if it got interesting.
0: How well, was it? How could it not have been interesting? Uh, there were only like eight people in the space. One journalist who was in the room, and the interesting anecdote was that. Um, You know, when the trial started, it was totally circus in town, couldn't get a seat. This guy, the the journalist was coming up from Santa Cruz, like super early to to get in line. And it's been, you know, nothing since all of the technical testimony started. But Elizabeth took the stand on Friday. So uh, people started queuing up at midnight, I guess last night or this morning or whatever, um, like it was an iPhone launch so uh he drove he left his house in santa cruz at four in the morning and was like the 50th person in line
1: this sounds extremely fascinating and i feel that when you were hearing this you were long past the point where you should have uh indicated to me that this was happening i mean i feel No, now
0: i know now (laughs) i mean i feel hurt
1: honestly i just feel hurt i feel i i you know i'm really trying i'm trying to process my emotion here but i just feel i mean you know i just i mean elizabeth holmes come on that's,
0: that's catnip. So, i know i, 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 know. It's I fair. cannot look <laughs> away so the 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 space also had a bunch of technical issues so i was sitting on hold for like 20 minutes but of course i i pressed on
1: you pressed on because of course it's all right well all right so i i'm gonna try to to look past this although it's gonna be difficult um hey and... how
0: was your space yesterday by the way
1: oh that's what this is about <laughs> here we are here we are no no this is okay they're here that's what this is about another time let's get it all out there look someone on the internet invited me to come to their space it was not a referendum on our space our space is still very special it was Mm -hmm. not i i saw you dropping in and out of that space
0: yeah yeah I, i i was dropping in and out because um whatever, I had other stuff to attend to. I was like in the I, I, car. Okay. Are you
1: sure you were not dropping in and out just to draw attention to yourself? I mean, it was a little awkward, honestly, that it's like, oh, Adam's here again, and Adam, Adam's left again. Adam's like, no, were you, uh, you deliberately storming out at different times in that space?
0: No, in in, in full candor, you know, as I mentioned, I'd, I'd, uh, I we're supporting this immigrant family from Afghanistan, and we had just dropped off a bike, but my own son had forgotten his pink bike helmet, so I needed to go back home to retrieve the pink bike helmet. It was that kind of emergency. Was and I was able of, to
1: listen. To which, which is the, I mean, those are the most dire emergencies, actually, because you've got, so <laughs> exactly. you, you got a very irrational boss at the other end of that emergency.
0: Absolutely. I mean, don't, like, w- won't get over that one in the same way that you've gotten over this. Uh, <laughs> with the home space so quickly.
1: Wow, this is really masterfully played. That I'm, Thank I, you. I I think
0: I ended up being a four-year-old in this metaphor. Thank you. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Well, yeah. Um, <laughs> Well, on that note, then I think <laughs> have we have we processed a
0: lot? I feel like yeah, I feel I I, I better. I do you feel better? I yeah, think... we'll we'll pick it up next
1: week. Yeah, there, there we go. Okay. Um, so the uh, that space was fun though, um, and but the difference between my space and your space is you were in that space and I was in yours. But that's okay. We're now I'm through it. Now I'm done. I'm, I'm ready to move on. <laughs> um, so I am. I mean, Thanksgiving has got to be your favorite holiday, right? Isn't Thanksgiving just the best holiday?
0: Yeah, especially now that uh, now that I don't have to travel, like it's great. Yes.
1: Yeah, I think Thanksgiving is just a great holiday. It's just a good I, it, it, I like the, it has meaning, I think, for, I, I love its twin themes of family, obviously, um, but then also gratitude. Gratitude's great. And it, it, practicing gratitude is a very good thing to practice.
0: Yeah, I mean, and overeating. I mean, that's just to fix that in there. Yeah. yeah.
1: Yeah, and I actually uh, Twitter, Twitter, Google was bringing up. Um, you know, I've I've had photos online long enough now that I get these like, "Hey, on this day, 14 years ago," um, and it will be. And on on this day, 14 years ago, Adam, you and I were having Thanksgiving together. Really? Yeah, in Noy Valley. Oh. Yeah. All
0: right. How about that?
1: It was like. It, and I gotta say, like it was a it was a bit of a ragtag bunch there. Definitely no one's family. It was a bunch of our. It was, um, but um, with my
0: all right on this day,
1: now seventeen year old, then then three. So uh, it was fun anyway. Awesome. Um, but I thought we, um, or we actually we thought that we might. Um, you know, in tech we so frequently complain about everything, for good reason because lots of stuff merits complaints. Um, but there's lots of little great stuff, too, and I feel like we don't often uh, spend we, – we spend too much mental energy on the stuff that doesn't work and not enough mental energy on the stuff that does work that we're really appreciative of. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of that, a lot of like little stuff like that. Um, and so as Adam and I were – Adam, as you and I were talking about this – we, we had to agree that there'd be no bag limit on, on <laughs> D. crates, on Rusty <laughs> Tollay crates.
0: That's right. Uh, David Tolde, legend. And like, it's impossible to do anything. I mean, literally anything rust because of but like, especially if you're writing macros or whatever, but anyway, I'm just in love with everything that guy does. You know what I have? Have you just like
1: walked everything he's done? I've actually not done that. And I feel I should.
0: No, I feel like there's like a whole seminar series, like a, you know that one could do just examining his crates and his early works
1: yeah i cause I, I feel like um we, we should be i, cause, you know, I think you, you you like listen to a you know a a track that's got an artist on it um actually you know, i say do you say track by the way for
0: yeah yeah i say track
1: oh that makes me feel so much better my kids are giving me are just like abusing me over track and then i also say i'm saying record for album which they also abuse me over but i feel like that's fine right anyway
0: whatever yeah that's fine they're they're right to abuse you on that one
1: Oh drat! Um, <laughs> the but I it, you know, you'll have like an artist that you'll hear on uh, you know on one track and then you'll go like dig up their whole oeuvre, um, which and go on that note by the way, Loyal Karner. Have you have I, have I told no. you? No. Oh man, Loyal Karner. Look this guy up. UK okay. based, unbelievable. Really, really good stuff. So I heard him on a DJ. Anyway, this is reminding me that I should like with this. I, I basically heard Loial corner on one DJ Shadow track, and I'm like, I got to go figure out who this guy is and just listen to everything he, he's done, which is not very much because he's pretty young, but it's amazing stuff. But I feel like with with Detone, I haven't done that, and I feel like we should. I feel like it should be just like walking every crate that guy has ever
0: written. It, it would be sort of a history of rust as well, because I feel like so much of what he did was sort of just a, a step and a half ahead of what the community at large needed.
1: So on that note, do you want to kick it off? Like, what, what is what is, a, what, what is a crate that you are – what are you thankful for, Adam?
0: Wait, well, actually, I'll just open it up. It doesn't have to be too well, y- Yeah, yeah. So um, I'll tell you what I'm thankful for. And this is not going to surprise you at all, Brian, and I, I've got a, a, a list of them, but where I'm going to start is um, something I've loved for a long time, Antler. Oh, uh, which yeah. Is, you know that I love this. I yeah. do I love generator. The yeah. But part of the reason why I love it so much, and I was reminded of this recently, is I went back into the D-Trace Parser and Lexer in Lex and Yak. There's so fucking hard to write and so fucking hard to understand. Yeah. And Antler, and then more recently, I've been using this uh, crate called Pest in um, in Rust, which uh, different different in construction, but similar in concept, which is, let me just write the grammar and get out of my way about all these rules and and you know reduce rules and and so forth and just kind of do what i say and both of these are magical in that regard like it turns um writing lexers and parsers from what i feel like is almost witchcraft into something that is like so easy that there's no excuse not to have a dsl where you need one
1: that is an antler it should be said is missing an e
0: yes a-N-T-L-R. A-T-L-R. It's the and, and that's it's mostly in the Java world, but like you know there there's like a, a Rust port ongoing and and you know stuff to, to other different uh, languages, but it's great. And if you need a parser, like it's it's so easy to write something in. And then
1: um, and then is past derived from Antlr or, or no no okay. totally
0: different. And and I wish I could remember the acronym off the top of my head, but it's a different. It's a different type of parser. Like I'm not a compiler or parser nerd, so I don't understand the taxonomy sufficiently. But like, you know, there, there's some kinds of grammars you could or could not do in one or the other. Um, but similar, at least from, from my dumb guy perspective of like, I want a simple DSL and it uh, lets me do it pretty simply in Rust.
1: Well, and that's, I think it's interesting that in terms of like, there's, you said there's no excuse for not using a DSL. Um and because I, I think we should we need to reach to DSLs probably more frequently and the ability to, to create them pleasurably will make that
0: much easier to go do. Yeah, absolutely. Like rather than retrofitting some configure configuration language on something that's sort of close enough or you know relying on consumers to like sort of get it right and you know, decipher obscure error messages. Yeah, like you can drop in a DSL without that much trouble using one of these tools.
1: Yeah, that's interesting. I need to, I've I, not done that and I need to. Have you been yeah. using them recently? or? Are...
0: So we used, um, I haven't used Antler in Rust, but I used Pest when uh, Ben and I worked on the the USDT crate for Rust. So the ability to drop D-Trace uh, user land pr- static probes into Rust code. And um, in order to parse the in D-Trace provider format, we built a little parser using Pest.
1: Yeah, that is so neat, and that's a great use case for it too. Because you made yeah. it much easier to use by being able to build in a little a little parser there.
0: Yeah, yeah, totally. That's cool. Um, uh, yeah. H- how about you? What's what's top of the list for you? Um, you know, I got so so
1: some uh, some big things, some small things. Um, not all Rust related, but definitely a lot that are Rust related, just because we're doing a lot of Rust work. Um, the so build.rs is something that I've you have you done anything with build RS at all
0: I, I've written some build RS uh, scripts like some I, I've been in a, in a weird phase of writing code generators and uh, the code generators I've, I've been writing in rust either can be used either in build RS or as a macro the macro form being sort of uh, easier when it works and the build RS form being nicer when it doesn't
1: right so build RS is basically Proc macros, but taken to the logical extreme of just like, why don't you just like write a program to write your program? And it's, I, I just found it's, you know, I I uh, proc macros are great, but they can be, as you said, I think you phrase it very concisely. It's like it's great when uh, once they work, they're amazing. They can be a little hard to get working. Not for any, not be any slight on proc macros. I mean, the development environment is honestly great. It's just that there, it's in this like weird layer where you are running your code as part of compiling the code effectively, and you're in this different context.
0: Yeah, I mean, I have this proc macro I wrote recently that's like six or 8,000 lines of code. Oh, Jesus. So, so like when, oh, it, when, it's, when it fails, it's like, yeah, there's a problem somewhere in this proc macro indication. You're like, okay, well, Could you give me a hint? It's like, no. No. It's six, I thought that you were going to say
1: 6 or 8 not six got, or 8,000, no, no, no. maybe six, six or eight hundred. This,
0: this is a proc macro that takes in <laughs> JSON schema and poops out Rust types.
1: Ooh. Okay, so that and that's the kind of thing that I've been using Build.rs for. Where yeah. I, where you are, this whole idea that I really like of like I'm going to take in data that's in this format, and I'm going to generate rust code from that data and then you're gonna buy, and, and then obviously write a program again I, I think i am this is a theme that's come up for a couple a, a couple different times for us in a couple different ways and uh build is great i just think it's like one of those things we don't talk about enough i think it's i i you know broadly just for those who don't have context build rs it's it's pretty straightforward it basically is a a program that will be compiled and run before you compile your program, so you can generate effectively arbitrary code, and you can do it. Uh, you can do it. I would say more cleanly than you're in, a, in an environment that's a little easier to debug than your six to eight thousand lines of block yes. macro. Yeah.
0: Yes, yes, totally.
1: So that's I, I'd say that's 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 been that's the top of the recent list. I'm very okay. So
0: I, I have a challenge for you for the next you know thirty forty five minutes or whatever. Um, I think if there is a piece of proprietary software, Brian, that you are thankful for, uh, um, yes. Oh, you already got that top of mind. Well, okay. I've got
1: one of them top of mind because I use it as the example that I don't actually dislike all proprietary software. It's just the broken proprietary software, which is most of it. So okay. uh, the the I now they they're, they're re-implementing this, but the Salier is the um, and actually this is a good one to talk about because the Salier is a makes a logic analyzer. And the uh, – uh, <laughs> it's kind of a generational thing, I guess, because there are, there are people who think a salier is unconscionably expensive because, I mean, you're spending $400 for a logic analyzer. I am definitely of the school that's like, yeah, these things were like $10,000 when I was an undergraduate. So I think it's a miracle that I've got a logic analyzer for 400 bucks. And yes, it's limited. It's not a high-speed Um, logic analyzer but it can go up to like you know 100 megahertz pretty easily and uh that software is historically proprietary i think they are actually trying to do it; they're trying to make it open in their more recent version and it's it's pretty good i like it um so but yeah
0: i mean it's great do
1: you have an example in mind of proprietary software that you like
0: uh i do um, I wanted to kick. I I want to open it up, so it's just not the you know. But but let me get back to that. Yeah. But um, uh, but I do. Um, but I was I was hoping on this that we might get folks raising their hand. Yes, definitely. And talking about what they're thankful for, what what pieces of software they're thankful. for And to be clear, I have like a whole page of stuff. If if we don't get a lot of hands raised. But Ian, but, but Matt, in a song, yeah, you you
1: you were uh oh, uh, Matt actually don't mind. I'm a little, uh, i Ian, if you got something, you were, you wanted to.
2: Yeah, um, uh, the thing that was kind of front of mind for me uh, was my UBI key. Um, yeah. As as a, uh, a professional uh, working within a large company uh, that has a single sign-on uh, implementation that does not sign me on via uh, once, but you know, it's, it's not a thing where you uh, sign on once and you sign in everywhere. It's more that. Everywhere, every time you sign in, you sign in through the same thing. Um, the YubiKey saves me, you know, quite a lot of time in my day and quite a lot of hassle of not having to pull out my phone and find find the app and press the button and all that kind of stuff. It it just saves me so much time, and I love it. Adam, have you used the key before? Have you seen these things?
0: I have, yeah, yeah. I, and uh, <laughs> I feel fortunate to, like, Never have worked at a company that had such strict security that I needed one. <laughs> but but when we were at Sun and, and briefly at Oracle, there was that little like sort of credit card sized oh, God like OTP. <laughs> so... Yeah, that oh was God. such that, a pain in the neck. That was so, so weird. I, that so like I've I've kind of kicked the tires on UbiKey and man, it's it, it,
1: Ubi Key's it great. So much better. Yeah, yeah, it's it's way better. And Ian, have you had to use other like alternatives in the past of these kind of like goofy physical challenges?
2: I hadn't used any of the physical ones. I had used the um, Duo mobile app a lot where it would send me a push notification and I would click on the notification and i have to click a button in an app. But that meant, you know, always having my phone on hand and not in my pocket and um, it was a lot more hassle than than just pressing this little button on this tiny little USB 3.0 dongle that's sitting in, in my Mac Mini.
1: Well, and i feel that like it's always such a hassle to deal with with security um that we often we we like the, the, the best it can possibly do is be a minimal hassle um so i think it is great to call out something that's actually like doing a really pretty good job minimi- minimizing the hassle
2: yeah and it's also like available <laughs> right to, to everyone right it's not just this uh, proprietary thing that's only inside one company everyone can get UB keys and it's a uh, kind of open API so uh, people can uh, support the standard in, in their own applications. Yeah, absolutely. Right, that's a good one. Matt, what, do you, what, what are you what do you thankful for?
3: Right. So um, I I'm I'm thankful for, uh, for, for for open source and for being able to to actually reuse libraries in in not only in rust but in a lot of modern languages in general and i'm going to illustrate that with yeah two anecdotes one negative and one positive you guys first the negative one you guys were talking about antler and not being able not having any excuse to uh to to not do a dsl and i i experienced the opposite of that when i was working on a c++ project in 2003 this was a, this is a windows app. I was, I was doing some contract work on a windows application. It was written in C using visual C plus And I, I had gotten to a feature where I thought it would be useful to be able to define a DSL. And I even looked at antler which I think had a C plus plus version, but it was just going to be so much trouble to add that dependency to the project that, uh, and I was like, no, oh, well, I'll, I'll just use XML. It's already in here. <laughs> oh, man. You know how that goes. Yeah, that's <laughs> right. Yeah. Conversely, um, on...
1: Oh, Matt, you muted yourself. Or did I an excellent... The other... There we go.
3: Yep. There we go. Yeah, conversely, on the positive side, I, I had one particular example in mind of a set of open source libraries that, that really that were really helpful to me at a, at a key point in my career. So in 2004, I was, I was, uh, and, and this, this could serve as a teaser for my accessibility history part two that I want to do sometime. But uh, I was thinking I was, I was looking into starting to develop a screen reader for windows and windows programming used to really intimidate me because the win 32 API is so huge. and, and, I hadn't really gotten my head around COM and so forth, but, uh, and, and I didn't, I didn't know. I didn't really know much at that time about how windows screen readers worked, but there was a, there was a group at, there, there was a, a, a research group at the university of North Carolina, Chapel Hill in their CS department that uh, had put out a, a handful of Python libraries for working with, the, the, the windows accessibility API at the time and installing the, the keyboard hooks that you needed to, 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 to intercept keystrokes, because that's something that a screen reader needs to do. And for working with the, the Microsoft speech API. And so these libraries together helped me get started prototyping. And I'm, I'm just thankful that, that, that that this group decided you know, chose to open source libraries that they were developing as part of their as part of their research projects.
1: Yeah. And you know, it's it's kind of unfortunate that it's it can be hard to and, and maybe in this case that group was aware that you were using it. But I think so often you throw stuff out there and I, you know people complain that it breaks. I let them know. Yeah, I'm sure they I let, appreciate
3: it. I, I let them know and I, I I email I mean my email was part thanks and part promotion of my product, but <laughs> I did let them know.
1: Yeah, that's great. And I no, I mean the older I get, the more I appreciate how deep and profound open source is. I mean it really is the most I think it is a more profound revolution in our lifetimes and arguably even the internet when it comes to software. Construction, software engineering, so that's th- definitely an evergreen.
3: Well, and I, I also emailed the professor again much later, a few years ago, just because I was thinking back and thinking about what, what, you know, how, how, how helpful that was for for me getting started in something that turned out to be pretty important in my career, and that that was a more pure uh, thank you email.
4: So
1: yeah, yeah, those are great. You know i I think that you. Uh, whenever you can hear from someone that you manage to influence at an important time, I guess that's really gratifying to hear. So that, um, that's terrific. Uh, all right, who's uh, who's next?
0: Who's, um, did, yeah, good. Do we it. have do we have Fester joined? Uh, uh, um. Yeah, I'm here. Hi. Um, oh, hi you know, did, and was, this is going to yeah, sound like a little think?
5: bit of brown. It's going to sound like a little bit of brown nosing, but honestly, no JS. Um, it. It was the first. <laughs> uh, no, seriously, I mean, I'm a, by trade. I'm pretty much a .NET developer, right? I, I spend most of my time in C sharp. But the thing is, is that whenever I opened my first company, or excuse me, my second company, and I tried to make a video game, I was able to develop the entire thing in the same language from front end to back end. You know how rare of a situation that is to be able to do write things every layer in the same language. And this was, what, uh, probably 10 years ago? So it does sound like it, but I I still use use it to this day in tooling. Uh, Nothing is running off of it permanently, but uh, it really does help my day-to-day a lot. And I guess by proxy JavaScript itself, though, I agree with you, Brian, TypeScript is a godsend. Uh, It's much better than it, it. I had to say it. No, that's it's a, true. The, the no, that's a
1: good system. one. And honestly, like I, I think my own relationship with Node is so complicated that it's great to be reminded about its that that uh, that fundamental value, that basic value, in, in being able to use JavaScript um, on the server side. And still, you know, and I you know I can see Matt Randy is here, and I remember Matt back in the day when we were talking about uh, you know what is like what's compelling about Node. And I had a bunch of kind of arguments that I thought were compelling about Node. And Matt's like, you know, you're overthinking it. It's just like it's just JavaScript on the server, man. Like that's what makes it compelling is that it? it's JavaScript, and that there's value in, in having the same language on both the front end and the and the back end. And,
5: and database, right? I was MongoDB. So I mean, all of it. But I mean, granted, yeah, it, it, it's it's the. Uh, much better if you're going to learn C or something like that and make something much more performant. But you know, one can argue with saying I'm thankful for something that helps me make money. Uh, there,
1: there you go. So that's a, that's is, a good one. You know, that's a, that's a good one. Um, yeah. Thank you for that.
0: Yeah. Patrick.
6: Yeah. Uh, I just want to throw out rabbit MQ. Uh, I think a lot of people don't enjoy working with it because it can, you know, kind of get into some weird situations, but, uh, I don't think I've seen another piece of software besides like Kafka, um, just turn a you know a whole machine into something that makes sense. It's like oh yes, that box is now a queue. It's almost like Redis turning a box or, or into a cache, um, and it's just so easy to think about. And it ships with a really really nice um, little web UI, so that I've actually taught people how to use RabbitMQ, like by showing them the. Um, the web UI, creating cues, uh, showing them like the different ways that you can uh, subscribe to different topics, and I, j- I just think it's a great system. And I think um, that whole uh, it- it's it's evolved over the years. And uh, zero AMQP 092 has been around for such a long time, so stable that like even if you're working with a language that's super old, it probably implements it correctly. I, I just think it's a great system.
1: And so, and what version of Rabbit are you, so, cause I've not kept up with Rabbit, I think since like 2.7, is that, does that even, I mean, I'm, the, the version strings are all mashed together in my head, but um, I mean, are you running, so you continue to run, you running Rabbit today or, or keeping up with releases of Rabbit?
6: Yeah, well, so actually, no, we're running actually a pretty old version in production right now, uh, as things happen, you know, uh, we just haven't had the need to upgrade it. It's been relatively stable. Well, that, um, I mean, that
1: tells you something right there, right? The fact that it's been, it, you haven't had the need to upgrade it because it's been, um, it's worked for you.
6: Yeah, no, it's it's just, I, I get sad when people get mad at it because they're like, oh, rabbit's backed up again. And it's like, rabbit is the noun in that sentence that is the, frustra- uh, the frustrations directed at, but really it's like some other piece of the system is not doing its job. Um, so I always point out how great it is. That's
0: awesome. That's great.
5: I want to
0: like stick up their hands with the, with the little emoji icon or whatever. Um, yeah. No, I'm, do you want to jump in? Sure. Can you hear me? Yep. Yeah. Perfect. Yeah. Um.
4: I So you, you guys are asking about um, open source versus closed source and, uh, and or proprietary. And uh, I have one that crosses both. So uh, um, the combination of WireGuard and uh, tail scale has been mm-hmm. uh, yeah. really pleasant to work with um, being able to have like, Wireguard mesh between all different machines without having to think really hard about it, uh, and the fact that it's open source, um, everything except the server side, wh- for which there's like an open source like alternative that someone has written. Um, it's been I like I've even gotten a port of it working on Illumos machines uh, that I'm still working very very slowly on upstreaming, um, but it's it makes networking very very nice again. You can like put a service on a on a scale ip address and not have to put any like authentication or protection on it and things just work uh it's like the internet of the old days before we had to start working uh, worrying about security
1: yeah that's great you know i've heard great things about tail scale, and i have not really like used it directly but it, um i mean i know we use it at
0: oxide right John... <laughs> that's true we we don't just have we're so secure we have two vpns <laughs> right right
1: we're doubly secure um,
0: oh, that's right. but and have you dealt with it directly Adam? Uh I mean I've used I've used our tailscale incarnation. I have actually um debugged a uh an issue with it with using dtrace and then you know got an immediate response uh on Twitter and they were they were super helpful. So yeah, I've used it a little and the team behind it is great. Okay, but
1: isn't that? I, I think you should be. Everyone should be so lucky as to have to debug exactly one issue with every technology they use. As this kind of, because you end up with this other kind of uh, test of like how how is the community? How are the How do they uh, deal with new information or about something that is not functioning correctly? And I always find that that's very revealing.
0: Oh, totally. Yeah, and, and, and in this case. I saw that it was like forking and exacting a process once every 200 milliseconds, um, which, you know, felt like lot. frequently. No, probably given, more given than that, it needs,
2: right? Yeah.
0: G- given that I wasn't even using the VPN at the moment. <laughs> right, exactly. Um, and they, they came back right away and they both apologized and they were like, well, you're using the old version. Here's the new version. So the, it, they, they got me sorted out really quickly.
1: That's great. Yeah. To-
0: yeah, further to their credit, um, when I
4: started, like I started playing around with porting it to Illumos, and I got, um, based on, like, Josh Clulo's old port of WireGuard Go, uh, they were super helpful in getting me, like, to the point where we are now, where, where it works really, really well. Um, and I'm sure that if I actually get WireGuard Go fully upstreamed, that they will be very happy to, like, help us get it. Uh, fully upstreamed for Illumos on the Tailscale side, which, I don't know, pro- based on my rate of progress on it as a side project, it'll probably take another couple of years, but, you know, we'll get there eventually.
5: Yeah,
1: that's great. That's great. Well, yeah, that uh, that's a good one, and definitely. I mean, I also feel like there's something to be said for, like, a community or a technology that is welcoming of different platforms. Including, clearly, you know, coming from the Illumos side, you know, we get a lot of exposure to this, where, I mean, like, when we finish the port to Go, uh, I mean, Adam, I think I've told you this, that when we did the – we ported Go to Illumos, and they created the notion of a first-class port so they could exclude the port that we had <laughs> just completed. Uh, yeah, it's like, yeah. wait a minute. The first-class port seems to include every port except for the – okay, I get it. All right. Yeah. All right. <laughs> I see I'll, what you're telling I, us. I, I, right. I, I, I understand. Um, yeah, Jason, go for it.
7: Yeah, I'd really like to um, express my thanks back in the closed source days with Solaris as a sysadmin for uh, trust because uh, and the internal infrastructure that actually supported that. I give you the, the the worst trust or the best trust that I ever did was trusting uh, XDM, starting up 100 virtual Sunray X servers because we'd uh, gone and bought a bundle of 100 Sunray clients and a server, and um, they were locking up. Some subset of them were just locking up for minutes on end after people logged out, and we had really full labs, and it was kind of my uh, advocacy that got the sun rays in there, so I was kind of packing death about it. But, um, yeah, no, S-Tracing, XDM starting up 100 virtual X servers and just sending it all to an enormous file that I could trawl through later, I worked out what the weird error messages were that XDM was putting out. And it turned out that every time you did an XDMCP indirect query, you remember the old uh, X-Terminal chooser, which let you choose it from a bunch of different hosts? Right. Yeah. Yeah. So when you did that, that wasn't apparently the usage case that the Sunray people were (laughs)
0: expecting.
7: And um, they forgot that that X-Terminal, virtual X-Terminal, Um, server was actually allocated and existed. And um, so they'd try and reuse that virtual server number. And XDM, basically, I had to infer, because I didn't have the source at this point that I could go and look at, I had to infer that XDM was basically sitting in a big event loop checking for all of the X uh, virtual X servers and, well, you know, the X servers and whether they'd... um, Died, and uh, you, know, re- you know, basically getting getting new sessions started on each one, and it would sit there and try and open repeat. It would basically rerun trying to open up this virtual uh, X server on a particular server number for a minute, and then it would go onto the next. Then it would go onto the next thing in its list. But we had a whole lab of people who were used to that chooser way of getting to their host. And that meant that we had twenty of these things scattered into a hundred uh, hosts, and that was like twenty minutes or more that a particular um, oh, terminal could could sit there stalled because XDM just wouldn't come around and say, "Oh, you need a new session, you know, set up for you." Oh man!
1: And and trust is what helped so, you br- crack that case.
7: Yeah, so I, I was kind of Mr. Trust uh, at that point, and then became Mr. S Trace under under Linux, and you know, trust, for instance. Someone uh, said to me, Hey, why can't why do I get syntax errors when I compile this uh, code using Sun C on SAMFS? And I was like, that's interesting. Um, and so I, I trust that. And you know, in like five minutes I can see that it's m mapping the code to and you know, looking for a null byte at the end of the code as a sentinel in the compiler rather than doing reads for the source and that SAMFS had a bug where their mmap map didn't actually clear out the last page of the uh, M map. And so, um, yeah, you just got gibberish on the end of your source file seen by Sun C when, uh, you, uh, tried to compile on SAMFS. So oh, that's great. Yeah. So, it, yeah.
1: It, so for those who are unaware about it, so trust is, uh, stands for, uh, trace system calls and signals. Uh, and this was um, developed by the late Roger Faulkner um, and it is uh, certainly similar in spirit to s trace but um, you know Roger had a very strong feelings about the need for trust to be entirely robust so um, the in terms of being able to follow threads and and not leaving processes in um, in terrible states um, and um, there the, the um, there were all sorts of stories uh, about the, the the unholy things that that Roger did to get Trust actually working properly. Um, but it,
0: so so Brian, I, I referred a colleague to Trust like on Friday, and for for an, an obscure use case, which is that Trust, to my knowledge, in the Illuma source base is the like one the, the only place that records actually all system calls and subsystem calls, because for some reason, some of the system calls were not deemed important enough to have their own number, but instead have to be subcodes off of some other number, um, I think because of some history of wanting the system call number to be a single byte long. Anyway, Truss is the only place I know that has like a single file that describes every system call, all the subcodes, and all the arguments.
1: In terms of the source code, yeah, yeah, interesting. And it's only, we've, made, I mean, obviously... The things you can do with Trust, you can definitely do with D-Trace, and D-Trace is designed to do it without actually stopping the target process. But Trust remains a very uh, robust and uh, important little program. Um, yeah, Jason, that was great. Who's uh, – let's see, who's next? Um, Simeon, did you want to – oh, yeah, Rahul, go ahead.
8: Yeah, I. so it's interesting. I you know as as you guys start this, I was like, "Oh, what am I thankful for And I went back and I was like, "Oh Linux or maybe my editor or my i d e you know um emacs or or something else or the compiler or the g c c or something and then i I went back to the very beginning of when I started um learning about computers and I think i'm what I'm most thankful for is um um was, was is the Linux documentation project so tldp.org oh yeah interesting it's, yeah yeah and, and back in the day for me as, as someone who um, um, had my first computer and didn't really have you know like wasn't online wasn't able to get online uh, but but just just being able to read okay the networking how to and and be able to understand, okay, this is what, this is, what networking is all about. I think I'm most thankful for that, like for everything that followed in my, you know, in my professional career. And the, this was, at, you know, uh, uh, that point onwards. So, yeah, I, guess that's, I, I no,
1: that's... Yeah, that's great. I mean, because I think that, and I, I feel that with, and this is probably true of any project, but I think that the yeah. th- there is a very small number of people who've done an outsized amount of the documentation, certainly like the Linux documentation project and the, um, I mean, there's so many of the Linux man pages that are basically yeah. d- due to one individual. I'm trying to pull up the name. I can't. this is a, someone who spent a lot of time in the Linux man pages. Um, and yeah, that documentation is really, the documentation is really, really important. And it's something that um, I just, to the reasons you're talking about, right? In terms of getting people introduced into the system. And it's easy to, forget um, that documentation or the importance of it because we become users of the system and we forget what it's like to to walk up to it afresh.
8: And the the thing that's interesting to me is that it's it's a change in culture uh, uh, in terms of what's happening today. and, And maybe it's just because where I am, but a lot of what a lot of so one of the questions that kind of constantly I keep thinking about is, you know, how do people gain new knowledge about and I'll just talk about system stuff because, you know, that's what I am most familiar with. And it's it's interesting, you know, you you search for anything online and for a lot of the core information, there is a man page or, you know, a TLDP page that's still out there that has the kind of the best signal to noise ratio and what you want to know about, but it's never really, it, it doesn't really surface (laughs) on a web search.
1: Yeah. Um, Right. I know what you mean. It's like you end up hitting like some stack overflow or yeah, yeah, right. And (laughs) yeah, I feel the same way. I have to say, I like find that like, because the Rust documentation I think is by and large very good, but I am, too used to googling, googling answers to questions, and it's actually not the best way to search. Often, often, like you're you're right, Rahul. You actually want to go to the doc, like go read the docs, which Google doesn't necessarily guide you
8: to do. And I, I think it, I think it's I guess it's a different way of working because you find the answer and then you move past this. You know, you know, you'll find the answer and you'll move past that point, and it's all in the okay, okay, next next problem, next problem, next problem, and that's fine. Um, once you're kind of familiar with the basics, but I wonder how newbies kind of uh, <laughs> how the learning process has kind of changed for that. But anyway, that's that's my that's what I'm thankful for. So yeah, <laughs> no, that,
1: yeah, that's a great one, and I think documentation in general, um, and and especially those kind of long form narratives. That I would say that just to to pitch it the uh, the um, programming in Rust book. I, I think is a great introduction to Rust that it has a, a very, it's not just the documentation of the system, but an actual narrative that takes you through it, which I think is actually very important. Um, Simeon, did you have
9: a... Uh, yeah, I, I was actually thinking about um, um, Your you, what you said about your expectations about logic analyzers. I don't know if you've seen those $5 clones of the original Sellier, um, uh, logic analyzer that runs to like 24 megahertz or something like that yeah uh, yeah yeah so, i
0: i have one
9: yeah yeah I, I i had one of those um and uh and i edwin and i were trying to do something with um with uh with uh, spi running at about i don't know probably 20 megahertz and it finally sort of stopped stopped working, like the $5 I had used up the $5 worth. of. Value for that. So, <laughs> so I, I ended up uh, getting the DS logic plus, which, which I've been very happy with. But um, to get back to software, I'm grateful for is I've been able to use the same software with with both. And in fact, um, so I'm talking about Sigrock. Um, yeah, and yep, yep, it's yep. a GUI tool called pulse view. And yeah. and it And I've been able to use it with my scope, with my multimeter, and it just works great.
1: It does work. And actually, it was clutch for me to be able to figure out. um, There's ARM has this thing called ETM, Embedded Trace Macrocell. And unfortunately, it, it has kind of fallen by the wayside in more recent CPUs. But it allows you to trace every instruction. And there's a pretty complicated protocol to actually interpret it, and I the, it was the sigrock plugin, sent me in that that I, that's how I was able to finally figure out what this thing was expecting. Because the documentation was uh, left something to be desired. Um, but yeah. it was it was great. Thank God. This is like one of these things where you're like, you know, you're in like a protocol analyzer or whatever, and something that's open source. and You're like, whoever you are, nameless person who has who has <laughs> broken this trail. Thank you so much. You're saving me so yeah. much time.
9: Um, and while I, while I have the floor, I'll, I'll get my, uh, David Tolney crate, uh, uh, contribution in there. Um, I'd say, uh, this error and anyhow, um, uh, yes. someone coming fr- to rust from go where error handling is very painful. Um, it just makes a lot of sense. So that's what I'm
1: grateful for. Oh, amen. I am such a, this error and anyhow convert. Um, it is so great.
0: Yes, I mean, I'm really glad you mentioned, I mean, obviously, the David Tolney crates, but also PulseView, like, also on my list. Um, Like, my first introduction to uh, logic analyzers and oscilloscopes, like, that I could just do on my dining room table, so, and I'm a cheapskate, so I didn't buy myself a salii. Um, And then, Brian, to your point, this is, like, this is sort of a thankless task. I mean, business-related, but clearly born from a community with a lot of passion, uh, and I got a couple others that I wanted to mention along those lines. Um, to grab the mic back, yeah, but definitely. One is, and I was thinking about this because what are, what are, what are these pieces that I use every day? One of them is QMK, which is open source software for keyboard controllers. And QMK. My, you know, QMK, yeah. So huh. this this is this is software I'm running on my keyboard. So every character I type is going through QMK. Um, to and it lets you like remap keys, and I've got LEDs because it's that kind of keyboard. Uh, it lets you you know program the strobe in different ways and stuff. Very cool. And again, just this this beautiful community that um, that like has built this up and make it work for a bunch of controllers and so forth. And the other one that I use every day is on my camera uh, at the other side of my computer, um, which is a thing that you talked to Trimmel Hudson yeah, about, Brian. Yeah. Uh, Magic Lantern. And this is fucking incredible, right? <laughs> this this takes these. This uh, proprietary software on Canon cameras, and it's it's not exactly a firmware hack, but wedges its own code. You just, you jam it onto uh, on a, onto a data card, stick it into your camera, and all of a sudden your camera can do all this magical stuff, including like execute a bunch of like your own handwritten code if you wanted, uh, but but have very fine grained control over your camera. Um, and again, like you have people who are. There's no business associated with this. There's people passionately porting this to new cameras left and right. It's very cool.
1: It's amazing. Trammell is the gutsiest person on the planet. I feel at it's like to take this very expensive camera and be like, and now I'm going to load my own firmware on it. You're like, okay, okay, wow. <laughs> yeah. uh, it's um, it's amazing. And if people haven't listened to the – I mean, Trammel, the, the Trammell is someone, again, that you just like – go consume all everything he's ever produced. It's all so incredible. Really, really interesting stuff.
0: Yeah, and amazing, he's an amazing person in terms of being able to start these projects, get them to a level of sufficiency, but then enable a community to sort of pass the baton. Um, he, he, which I, th- I think is a, a missing step in so many projects. Yeah, he's
1: like a Johnny Appleseed of open firmware. He like goes from place to place, like cracking these things open, and then kind of moving on to the next town. Um, yeah. And that's the way he likes to operate. And it's very—he's extremely effective. Yeah. Uh, Matt, I saw you getting in here?
10: Hi, I assume you mean me. Yeah. Hi. Hey, hi, man. Um, hey, what's up? How are you? Uh, uh, so I just want to, uh, good, man. I want to echo all the open source. I mean, obviously amazing, right? Like open source, the best, um, revolutionary change, et cetera. But for me, the thing that I've been most thankful for in, uh, software, which is what I work on, uh, in the last year has been eBPF. Um, it's actually gotten me excited about, uh, like writing software again. Um, the possibilities it unlocks, like I feel like the, just somehow it was like the last little bit of push that I needed to kind of like get how the entire computer I could like program.
1: And so Matt, you know? are, are, so are you using EBPF to, um, to uh, like understand what the system is doing or actually modify its behavior?
10: So, so understand first, but I have grand designs on modifying its behavior. Um, yeah, I mean that, that's right. I mean it's it's much harder or I don't know I, I would say it's different um, if you want to start modifying its behavior but, but that the fact that you could use it for that uh, was just so surprising to me that I, I spent time on it you know and it's, it's, it's really interesting.
1: That's great. Yeah, I have – you know, I um, – they definitely It's – it's got obviously a different approach. Because with D-Trace, we definitely have always believed in, in not allowing people to arbitrarily modify the system's behavior, which I think has got strengths but also weaknesses. Um, and it's great that people are using eBPF to do kind of arbitrary things easily. Um, and, so are, and are you actually – I mean I guess um, – like what kinds of things would you implement in EVPF?
10: Right. So, I mean, what, what I personally am doing with it is I have a, a fleet-wide monitoring agent that's kind of like watching for various things that are interesting to us and like kind of putting it into a, you know, a data stream that can be indexed and you know, aggregated, queried by people. Um, it's like you know, you made this TCP request, you made this HTTP request, um, you made you know, you're doing these various things that are that are interesting, and we kind of you know aggregate them so people can find out what's happening um, sort of from the bottoms up.
1: Right. Okay. So, so you you are really using it as kind of arbitrary observability, which is great.
10: Yeah, but but basically like low level. So there's like the top down, which is like you know open telemetry and you know explicit you know instrumentation, but and this is like coming out from the other direction.
1: Yeah. There's no, nothing beats the bottom up in terms of like what, what's actually happening on the system.
10: Yeah. I mean, it, it has been, it's been just enlightening to sort of see how things work. And like, look, you know, I, I, I love D trace. It like opened, it opened my eyes to like kind of what's possible in terms of changing code that runs in kernel space, like safely at runtime. I mean, that was amazing. Um, Sadly, I don't use any systems that, like, have access to it.
1: (laughs) No, No, (laughs) I I think it's – honestly, no, I think it's great that there are – I mean, and I don't know to what degree Detroit's kind of directly informed EPF or not, but I think it's uh, – observability is great, and it's important. And I welcome – observability and debuggability, I welcome in all of their forms. So I am glad that it's – I think it's great that it's – that it's so useful you know it's good so we can figure out what the what the hell these systems are doing should...
10: yeah and i I, mean, I would say the the one thing that's been particularly satisfying for me is seeing some junior engineers um kind of see this work that i'm doing with EVPF and like really kind of grabbing onto it and saying like whoa how did you do that like that's super interesting like how can i learn more about that like what well, this is such such a novel, you know, kind of way of coming at this problem. Like, I never even thought of it. And like getting people excited about that, like, I just think it's
0: super cool. Yeah, that's yeah, true. It's, it's, yeah. yeah, when you're turning a new lens on a system like that, where you're able to to look at these these data that were previously either impossible to see or impossible to make sense of, and then, you know, extracting the actual behavior in your own code that's that's creating that i mean it's just it's unbelievable to folks who maybe have never seen that kind of lens before or had access to those kinds of data before yeah super good
1: well and getting people over their own hump of i think that you you know one of the challenges we've always had with dtrace is that it's you know there's a big difference between kind of looking at someone else do it and learning how to do it yourself and having it kind of bail your own butt out um, and I'm sure that of the same is true of UPF or any observability or debugging tool. It's like, how do you facilitate getting people, and how do you facilitate those junior engineers, Matt, getting kind of you know, excited about it to the point that they're digging in and getting kind of over the hump and realizing that, like, yeah, you can actually, you can answer these questions. You can go gather the data. We don't have to guess anymore. We can actually go figure yeah. out what was actually happening.
10: I mean, I, I had experience, like, a couple of days ago, or, like, late last week, a different engineer that I worked with before came to me and said, "Hey, I heard you're doing this thing. Like, I got a PR for you, but I'm not sure if you're into it. But like, I think I can solve this other problem we have." And he'd like, you know, written the C code, and he's like, "Oh, you know, I'm not sure if it's any good, but like, here's here's what I got." And it was like, it was awesome. <laughs> it was so good.
0: That's great. That's cool.
1: And I don't know, have you met Matt? Do you did you know one another? No, I don't think so. Okay, so Matt uh, is a. a Matt, I've known since early Node days, um, and in particular, Matt helped really inspire Dave's work on the the all the postmortem work we did with JavaScript, on uh, Node, because Matt in particular had a, a, an app that was like suffering from that was leaking memory over time, right? You know, it's GC; it's just like the object graphs getting bigger and bigger. He's having to reset this thing, and Matt's just like, "Can't we just like figure out what this memory is? Like, why can't we figure that out?" And I'm like. Why can't we figure that out? So um, Matt, I'm always very grateful for you for just kind of like just asking these kind of like the, the, the basic questions are really important and like there's often a lot of really complicated implementation to answer those basic questions, but we should we should ask them totally
10: totally adam i think i said hi to you one time at a joint meetup but uh, oh
1: sorry Matt. i'm sure i'm sure <laughs> it was
10: nuts, not so memorable you know
1: and i i i i know it was extremely awkward and i really wanted to use this to clear the air and it just didn't work out this is really backfiring i had this like i'm like i need to get them together if they can thank you but now i'm sorry this really went sideways well you know
0: in a hurry yeah <laughs> it's all good <laughs>
1: Um, all right, we've got a, a couple more minutes. I know some folks that have um haven't uh, yeah, uh, Matt Sai, go chime in.
11: Yeah, I mean, I've probably got my top three here, um, in no particular order would be CUDA, Ethernet, and GPS. Ooh. I don't know which one you want to take first?
1: Oh, yeah, let's uh, yeah, let's type, the CUDA, let's start with CUDA, CUDA's super important, I feel. Yeah, start with that.
11: Yeah, I mean, CUDA is like the first and i I might argue the only um non-traditional computational language that's actually gotten something right um you know like (laughs) they've really got the abstraction just like absolutely nailed in terms of how you'd want to implement this like kind of vliw but not really kind of architecture that you encounter on a gpu like it is despite being proprietary, they've just nailed the usability. Yeah,
1: no, it, um, it, it, it's it, it's definitely important. And do you, do you, In what capacity do you use it? Do you, are you using it for, like, MLDL, or are you using it as a GPGPU for scientific computation, or for graphics, or how, how do you actually use G, it?
11: GPGPU, mostly scientific computation type stuff. Um, it's, you know, like, in terms of implementing arbitrary algorithms, it's it's the one thing that I've encountered that's you know, like there's a lot of places where like oh yeah okay fine it runs TensorFlow but like actually or like it runs VHDL on the side of an FPGA to the extent that an FPGA quote unquote runs anything like, I, GP like CUDA hits that really nice middle ground between being understandable as software where like, oh, VHDL, you have timing analysis, and like try explaining to someone that like, well, you didn't need timing, so like you just get random data. Yeah. Instead of like, (laughs) you just get the data slow, right? Um, But like, CUDA still hits that point where like, you can write bad code and have it work okay, um, and like be understandable to mere mortals. Um, But like, it's also really able to leverage that parallel architecture of the hardware in a way that's just... Beautiful. Um,
1: well, and, and to, to our discussion a couple of weeks ago, I mean that's what happened to supercomputing, right? I mean, could have been, that that is modern supercomputing effectively. I mean, Matt, I'd love to get your take on that, but it feels that's what that's what it feels like happened to supercomputing.
11: Yeah, I mean, pretty much. Um, you know, you you can make the OpenGL argument. I'm more of a CUDA guy, but like your OpenCL rather. Uh, but yeah, I mean, that's those are supercomputers, right? Yeah. I mean, you like. Just core count per silicon density instruction set complexity is low like it's it's everything that you'd ever wanted right
1: and and not to go kind of cube cuddle versus cube ctL on you, but I noticed you're saying cuda and I've been saying cuda I think have I been, have if I've been mispronouncing yeah. it can we just get this out
0: there me too I'm the same kind of idiot if that's the wrong way I always thought it was cuda I mean
1: I, the, we're, we're gonna go yeah. with you you're the, you're the <laughs> I, I, I think person' actually used it The person who's right. actually used right. it.
11: <laughs> You yeah, know, like I've, might might interject. be like I've, an I've, East Coast,
10: I've, West Coast, I've been to like meetings California, at Nvidia, and, and they say CUDA.
1: They say okay. CUDA. Okay.
10: They say CUDA in the Nvidia headquarters, which is shaped like a triangle.
11: <laughs> okay, I have never had anyone from Nvidia correct me. So, like, what fifty-fifty? There you go. Um, there We go. Yeah.
1: All right, and then you've got uh, so that that however you pronounce it, it's a uh, that's a great and an important contribution. And then, all right, so you also had the Ethernet.
11: Yeah. Um, just absolutely phenomenal anywhere from 10 megabits per second to 800 gigabits per second it all interoperates pretty damn near seamlessly Um, like
0: it's good I mean if
11: if there is such a thing as a universal protocol that is it
0: I'm thankful for Ethernet for sure (laughs) yes yes especially wired Ethernet (laughs) yeah tell me about it
1: (laughs) and then Matt I think you had a third one in there right
11: Yeah, GPS.
1: GPS, yes. Yeah, that's a big deal, isn't it? The whole GPS thing.
0: (laughs) I mean, Brian. I mean, since you're an oldster too, like, I mean, I have, I have an old car. I have a twenty year old car, and it has twenty years worth of accumulated maps in it. Have you ever explained like a map to a child? Like a
1: like like a paper map.
0: Yeah, like that you would take out a map and find where you wanted to go on that map. And then use that map to navigate streets. Like it, it makes you, me feel you, like I'm a billion years you, old. Yeah, you when I you just
1: that. sound absolutely crazy. I mean, it just sounds yeah. like we like,
0: you used paper to get places. Walk me through that.
1: And the fact that you would have the, and then you'd often like it's like very actually, it, it's very hard to drive and navigate at the same time. So yeah, no, you sound like you sound bonkers when you when you yeah. describe that stuff. No, GPS so G and it is amazing how ubiquitous GPS has become and how low power and yeah. Sorry, go ahead.
11: And like I was not even thinking the navigation component. Um in that like that's definitely like its nominal purpose and very cool, but like GPS is when you get into the technical details of it, it is as close to a universal planetary reference frame in the relativistic sense as you can get. Um, In that, like, you now have a basically internationally, like a a, a whole global reference about timing and frequency so that you can do things like Google Spanner being like the, the most open example of that. Where, like, you now have a common time reference for the entire planet.
1: So, you really think of it uh, more and, in terms and of synchronized time than anything else? Yeah, it, yeah interesting. I
11: mean, just, just in terms of like being the, the complete miracle of general relativity, like, I can navigate on road signs, but, like, if, if you want me to like not have to break out graduate level physics textbooks to synchronize two clocks on opposite sides of the Atlantic Ocean, like, the GPS. Disciplined oscillators are basically the most precise frequency references we have, um, short of the references that sync the GPS system. Um, And like getting to do things like Google Spanner, uh, but like you can actually do something incredibly similar to that with like a Raspberry Pi and like a a $20 GPS receiver. Uh, And that doesn't take Google level engineering resources to pull off. Like, the idea that this is just free for all humanity is phenomenal.
1: Yeah, it is nuts. I um, <laughs> yeah, well, why have I been so ungrateful for GPS? I feel like, I, I feel like I've think i not given sufficient <laughs> gratitude to GPS. <laughs> <laughs> um, there's got to be a good book on this, on the history of, the, of, of GPS.
0: It's like the longitude, but for GPS.
1: Yeah, exactly. Right. Well, because there's it, a... It means...
9: There is a book that I would recommend that's kind of adjacent to this, um, which is about the iridium system, iridium phones. Um, it's called, uh, it's got a fun name. It's called Eccentric Orbits. It's kind of like a business book about the drama around um, the invention of iridium and all the drama around the bankruptcies and then the U.S. Um, DOD bailing them out and Motorola wanting to deep orbit the whole constellation. That's That's really a, a great book. Oh, um, but gracious. it's interesting, sounds, like inject that into my veins. That sounds <laughs> um, it, it's interesting to hear You folks talk about GPS, though, because something which probably um, most people outside of the US might remember is something called selective availability, where um, there was two GPS signals. One was encrypted, um, and yeah. you had to have yeah, and 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 uh, and uh, it was. Actually, pretty interesting how that ended. I think it was embarrassment um, of the US when not all um, US military could actually afford the encrypted GPS terminal, and so you had like families paying for commercial GPS that had reduced resolution.
1: Um, And there were, I feel like there were a bunch of tricks too that the commercial GPS was able to do to to basically amp up their their resolution.
9: If, if you if you needed to use GPS for something where you really needed high resolution and you were outside the U.S., you could actually correct that. And there was actually a whole network of, um, they call differential GPS. So basically somebody goes and very accurately surveys a point on the planet somewhere and then transmits a, uh, a signal, a low data rate signal on a very low frequency, like shortwave type frequency, that, that is just basically trans- saying... Given the satellite, given the GPS coordinates you are seeing right now, apply this correction to the coordinate to get the actual position. So differential okay. GPS used to be a thing. But I don't think it is anymore. Uh,
11: the so correction diff- Differential are still GPS a thing. is C- definitely there, still a thing. Um, like I know that with like COTS hardware, you are now able to get like three millimeter resolution with stuff you can buy off like Adafruit. Oh
12: oh yeah. That's one of the, one yeah. of the final exam questions or one of the required projects in the AFIT, uh, the Air Force Institute of Technology's GPS class is to draw art on a poster using differential GPS at the end of the Aroma arm. If you complete the poster, <laughs> you get credit, <laughs> but yeah, that, that was,
11: but if you don't, yeah.
12: Yeah, yeah. Ju- yeah. So uh, I still have yeah. that somewhere. That was that was that was fun.
1: Wow! And Bill, did you did you take this
11: course? I took it.
12: Yeah. It? Yes. Yes, I did. Yeah. So it, it, it
11: complete with ionospheric.
12: Oh yeah, yeah. We we yeah. Can, can can I
10: tell you a fun story about GPS? Go. Which is um, in you know self driving cars right? They're a thing none of them actually use GPS to navigate. Like for the, for the most part, the, the high end self-driving cars use GPS to sort of roughly find out where they are. And then it's all LIDAR based after that. Cause GPS as good as it is, cannot be counted on reliably hmm. enough.
1: And is that just because of, Oh, you're just going to get, it's too easy to have that signal be blocked with foliage or a tunnel or
10: Sure. Weather. Right. So it's like well, those signals like when weather happens, you know, they're OK. But the reflection problem is huge. So in the urban canyons, you get all these reflections off tall buildings. Very, very hard to reject all those reflections.
1: Um, well, I, I really fortunately, my 17 year old doesn't actually listen to this because, uh, you know, with the, the, the he would love to have. A whole new bevy of excuses about how the locator on this phone was actually incorrect. <laughs> no, Dad, that was an urban, urban canyon. No, no, that's an urban canyon, Dad. That's an urban canyon. That's sorry, no, I was.
0: I was I, in the library. I, right? I
1: was in the library. That's exactly right. Um, <laughs>
10: but, but to the original uh, uh, observation, GPS is totally amazing, and I agree with you. This is <laughs> the fact that they give it away for free. It's awesome. So good.
1: Yeah, I mean, I guess it's kind of like hard to not give away at some level, right? I mean, I guess the nature of the problem means like, well, I guess we're going to have to give you some... I mean, I think, did they kind of... Well, sorry, Matt, go ahead.
11: Well, I, you know, like, they, they absolutely didn't have to, right? I mean, GPS was completely a military project from day one, right? Um, and the fact that, like, someone had the foresight to see the civilian possibilities on it is just, you know
9: there is also a, another have
11: to be very grateful for
9: there is another force which is that um which is that um you know other countries recognize that um you know the the us military being able to turn off gps at a moment's notice was an issue and so there are alternatives right so your gps receiver typically today has the ability to receive um position information from um galileo uh is it called galileo um So the European European Union. Yeah. Yeah. And, um, you know, China has something called Baidu and Japan had, I think both Japan and India have positioning satellites that are geostationary, if I'm not mistaken. So there's there. Oh, and then, and then the, uh, the Russians have one too. So there's like four Mm -hmm. odd constellations of something that is GPS or GPS equivalent.
11: but most of them are only location specific. I'm pretty sure the American GPS is the only constellation that covers the whole earth.
2: I think Maybe the European, the,
11: GLONASS too. Uh,
9: the European, the Russian and GPS. So there's, I think there's three that are global because they're all um, uh, medium or low earth orbit. Yeah.
10: I think the Russian GLONASS yeah, but, covers the whole earth.
11: Yeah. I thought the European one was optimized for use in Europe only where like, you know, there's, there's a lot of satellites in the sky, but I don't at any given time like, there's only enough to navigate over Europe necessarily and anything else you get by accident. All right, so All right. citation needed. Yeah, there you yeah. go,
1: right. Um, okay, so I, I do want to uh, keep Adam from getting into too much trouble with his, especially with this four-year- old. but the <laughs> um, I want to make sure that everyone got a chance to, to kind of chime in here. So I think um, uh, Bill and, and Rick and then Barts, uh, Bart's the man. What what are you thankful for?
5: Oh, I also want to give a quick shout out to the Salient Logic Analyzer. But the thing I'm really thankful for is Grep. The workhorse. Yeah. Yeah. Especially whenever. Go ahead. Use that every day for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Especially whenever, due to decisions that were made before, I joined the place where I work at now. We use Bitbucket, and Bitbucket search is uh, less than functional.
1: It, I, you can make up for a lot of gaps with grep. Grep is, yeah. is definitely the workhorse, one of those things you run every day, and you're uh, – it's like awk, right? got to be um, – although, actually, I learned from a a kid in the – actually, a mother of a kid in the neighborhood who apparently, like, watched my talks online and asked for the awk programming language book for Christmas last year. And huh. – yeah, I like am I like, am I corrupting the youth or am I edgy? I actually don't know. Like, I got mixed feelings on this. I kind of feel like you know, he's re- if you're reading the classics, you know. Um, Rick, would you did you want to chime in here? Rick and Bill,
13: yeah, go oh, ahead. there's there's so many options, but uh, lately it's been a, a lot of Ghidra. I mean, for all the things mm. that the NSA does. Uh, Ghidra is like one of the few things that seems to have, have paid off really well for, you know, a, a very useful tool.
1: Yeah. I really need to ramp on Ghidra. I've, you know, watching you, watching other folks at Oxide use it. I mean, watching Cliff use it. I mean, it's, it, it, Adam, have you used it at all?
0: No, no, no. I was hoping Ricky could, I, I have no idea what it is. Oh, you don't sure know what it is. Oh goodness. Oh no. yeah. Yeah.
1: Rick should tell you what it is. No, it, it's really yeah. quite remarkable. So,
13: Ghidra is, is, uh, Tool similar in concept to IDA, which is the interactive disassembler, um, but basically the idea is it's reverse engineering software. So it it is a suite of uh, it, uh, you can load up an, an executable binary. It will reconstruct control flow. It will you know collect all the debug information and symbol information, and then not only give you disassembly but also give you a decompilation. Um, and so you can take an unknown binary that you found and dig into it quite deeply and understand what functions are called from where and, you know, all the data references and things like that.
0: Yeah, this this sounds awesome. And right up my alley. Actually, I I recognize this name because I was searching for a book on WebAssembly this weekend and this in the public library because that's what I do. And uh, this book on Gizra kept on kept on coming up, and I was like, "Well, I don't care about that thing." Turns out, I'm gonna take out that book from the library today.
1: Yeah, you, you should. Um, as a as I, it, it is the 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 second and ultimate coming of Libdis, Adam. This is, it,
0: yeah. yeah, 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 yeah.
1: It, it's good stuff. All right, yeah, Bill, what, what do you got?
12: Uh, well, I've got two things I'm thankful for, which kind of segue from one into the other uh, I, I if i had to trace any uh any particular open source library i'm most thankful for it would be fftw fastest Fourier transform in the west uh started most of my uh you know, I've got a physics degree, wound up doing a lot of signal processing for embedded radio receivers and instrumentation stuff, and then wound up, you know, having to use that to, you know, it's like, you know, looking at numbers is one thing, but if you're trying to can go from numbers to a picture or a graph, you know, Time to bust out the other workhorse and pipe something to the new plot.
1: Oh, amen.
12: Oof. Because, Oof. oh my God, yo, know, you know, To quote some, to quote some YouTube video about new plot from this crazy guy. You ever wonder what's going on with a piece of hardware? Well, so are we. Yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, uh, by the way, watching that on the video wall at work was amazing, and all my coworkers, you know, just like started, yeah. But, you know, the new plot. you know, lets me, like, take, you know, I was able to take time series data from radio signals and instruments and make sense of it. And then one day, you know, I get told the file server keeps on, you know, locking up at, for no apparent reason, and our admins can't make sense of it. And I'm thinking, why are they talking to me? I'm a physicist. I have to look at time series. I need to instrument things. And oh, wait, there's D Trace. Let's instrument the Solaris file server and solve a 12 month long, you know, 12 month uh, pro- recurring problem by managing to figure out that it's three particular workstations running a cron job.
1: Oh, you know, man. You
12: know, I only had this because they had they had eighteen months of log data that they had been trying to do that. And I'm like, okay, I, I looked at it as a signal processing problem, visualized it with new plot, and after from that they're they're like, oh yeah, you're a sysadmin now. And I'm like, wait, what? 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 What
1: just happened here? <laughs> right. okay. uh, One of us. One of us. You've been
12: devilized. Does,
11: does that mean? Does that mean I'm not the only person to have ever debugged a systems issue with the FFT? We're
12: uh, alone. <laughs> I tracked uh, a previous employer. I tracked down a break in fiber between campus buildings using a signal generator and an oscilloscope to do time distance reflectometry because my boss was too cheap to pay an outside contractor to do that. So that's yeah, a story. I, mean, uh, I feel but... that
1: like and FFTs are, so I, I, I was actually taught an FFT as part of the computer science curriculum. But yeah. the, and Adam, I don't know if you read the same. So the so Phil, uh, we shared a professor. So Phil Klein taught us FFTs, and we were all like, "Well, this is extremely interesting, but what is this useful for?" And Phil is a theoretician, and he's like, "I don't know."
12: <laughs> oh, hey, oh oh
5: So oh,
1: yeah. well, exactly. <laughs> so yeah, I mean, so, no, don't worry. I, you're having the same reaction that my engineer roommate had. I'm like hey, can you tell me what an FFT is for? Because you know, our CS prof says, he's like, I don't know, it's like these were something. He's like, no, 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 stop. Okay, let me go explain all of the uses of an FFT and why this is truly God's gift um, to be able to go from the, from the time domain to the frequency domain.
12: Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Uh, when, I, in, when we took signal processing for physicists, one of our final problems was Write a 16-bin FFT from scratch. Show your work. Okay, moving on. Uh, but, you know, between going from FFTW and all the various libraries that have popped up since, GNU Plot, and then, you know, later having pivoted into Python and Matplotlib and Python and Seaborn and now, uh, python and now all the visualization libraries that are everywhere i can't throw a rock without hitting a visualization library but i i'm just you know i'm thankful that everywhere i look there's always something that hits my sense of wonder and that's the thing i love about working in this industry there's always there's always a rabbit hole to go down
1: there's always a rabbit hole to go down. I, that is a that is a great note to end on. I, I think that the the because the wonder I and I think that anyone who is becomes kind of uh, is is trying to kind of find the joy. It's like you got to find the wonder in the fact that all this stuff works is amazing. The fact that we got that that you know GPS and and whether it's Ethernet or CUDA or FFTs or I, I mean. I, so many of these technologies are the, just the absolute unsung heroes and they are marvels. Um, so I, that, is, that is a great note to end on. Adam, any? Uh, any...
0: Brian, this is a great topic. Uh, I almost hesitate to bring it up, but my my piece of proprietary software is Microsoft Excel. But it actually dovetails very well with, uh, you know, what Bill was saying about uh, being able to observe and analyze data simply. Um. I don't know, if an open source alternative to Excel,
1: but this is, there are a few things you love as much as SQL, but
0: (laughs) it's true. It's true. It's true.
1: I mean, if I, if you had to choose, I mean, you, they're right up there.
0: Yeah. spreadsheets are great, but this has been an awesome session. And Brian, again, great, great topic, uh, very timely and a lot of good, good things to go check out. A
1: lot of good things. And Hey, happy Thanksgiving everyone. A lot to be grateful for and hope you and your families are well, and we'll uh, talk to you next week.
0: See you next week. Thanks Thanks, everyone.